HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, we're celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hi, I'm Allie Kane. Welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building and growing consumer brands. When we launched a line of fresh sauces, I knew we were jumping into something crazy. Haven's Kitchen is a cooking school, cafe, and event space. A product that people buy in grocery stores is an entirely new business, and I had a lot to learn. So in my efforts to get myself educated, I started meeting everyone I know and respect who could advise me on production and distribution, sales and legal, PR, and social media. Then I started having those conversations here as a podcast so that other entrepreneurs can learn from them as well. This is the story of Haven's Kitchen Sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, my guest is Rachel Simons, co-founder of Seed and Mill, America's first sesame concept store and producer of a range of products made from sesame seeds, including halva, tahini, soft serve, mm, a range of spices, and I think everyone's favorite tahini in the world. Um, since it's our last episode of the season, Rachel and I wanted to do a little bit something different, and um, I'm going to be kind of interviewing her, but she's also going to be interviewing me um, just to give everybody an update on what's going on with Havens. It was kind of Matt's idea, I think, Matt. I'll take credit for that. <laughs> he was like, you know, you interview all these other people. That's your voice, Matt, by the way. You interview all these other people and you get to know their businesses. And meanwhile, people might be interested in what's going on at Havens. So maybe you should do an update. And I didn't really want to just sit here for 45 minutes and update everybody <laughs> on what I thought they'd be interested in. So I invited Rachel on to ask me questions. Um, I love you. I love talking to you about all of this stuff. I love your product. You're also just an incredibly generous, good human. Um, so I'm happy for you to be my guest on the last episode of this season. And welcome. Thank you, Allie. Um, so I'll let you take it away, I guess. <laughs> I'm used to control. It's a little challenging. <laughs> I think you just needed another voice, another accent, another, <laughs> and another person in the room. So, I mean, Allie, I just have to start this interview off by telling you that this podcast has mean, meant so much for me and for so many entrepreneurs. I can't tell you how many times I've told other people in my position starting up food CPG businesses to listen to this podcast and invariably they come back to me and say, thank you so much for putting me onto that podcast. I have learned this or I've learned that. So honestly, this is an honor for me thank you. to interview you. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that it, it helps people because it's not intuitive stuff. And I feel like there is a little bit of sort of opaqueness or opacity. I'm not sure what the word is around around all of the different pieces of this puzzle. And it is it is this very convoluted puzzle. Yeah, it is. And I mean, and obviously, 
for you, there's been a small amount of self-interest for you to be able to interview great people and learn yeah. learn for your own benefit through the podcast. But the time that you put into nurturing and mentoring other people and other entrepreneurs in your position is extraordinary. Thank so you. honestly, I'm very happy to be Aww. here today. Yeah. So you know, we've I've I've listened to every single one of your episodes, and we hear a lot about everybody else's business, and mm-hmm. we get snippets of <laughs> of of you know what's happening at Havens right. with each episode. But I would love for you to, I guess, give us an overview. You're about what a year, year and a half old now. Yeah, we launched. Um, we I mean, we went to Fancy Food in June of seventeen, and we had our first PO purchase order. Um, to Whole Foods in March of 2018 because it took me a while to figure out that I couldn't just bring sauces around in a cooler to all of the Whole Foods in New York City. Um, and so it's been actually a year where we've really had production and, and real distribution. Um, and it's been an amazing year. Uh, I'll start off with sort of the back end in terms of the team. Um, Katie left, who was um, the original chef who also helped co-found the sauces. Um, she went on to do other amazing things and basically kind of freed up space so I could then hire a head of operations and a director of sales. Um, both of those women started in January, and I feel like it's a very good it's a very good setup. You know, you have to have a very strong kind of operation supply chain logistics piece, and then you have to have a very strong sales and field marketing piece. And those two kind of meet in between on demand planning, on planning for new SKUs. Um, and it's just a, it's a very good sort of triangle, you know, yeah. me and yeah. then the two of them. Um, and then each of um, Marissa's, who's the head of operations, and Allison's, who the head of who's the head of sales. They each have someone who reports to them. In Marissa's case, it's Diana who does like all of the modeling for all the ingredients, and you know we have a lot of ingredients in the yeah. sauces. So trying to find them in bulk, trying to find the prices, trying to find the producers that we want to work with, all of that, and then um, Courtney. Uh, who reports to Allison, who's our head of sales. Courtney does all of the field marketing. So she's running to every Whole Foods and cajoling the buyers and talking to the buyers and supporting the buyers and trying to help, you know, get us more facings on the shelf or make sure that we don't go out of stock. And And I think it's a, it's a very good system. Um, and then, of course, Maddie, who's usually here, who I kind of chime in with occasionally, um, she works for Sauce, but she also works for Havens, just the mothership, um, doing, uh, helping me out with social media, doing partnerships with other brands, anything that kind of requires a nice invitation or something creative and, and kind of marketing related. Yeah. So the team has grown. Yeah. And then their star. That's, that's a really solid yeah. start. Yeah. That's, you know, you're well beyond sort of startup. Mostly. Yeah. I mean, in a way. And Star, um, who's been a prep cook at Havens for years, is now leading our R&D. So for Whole Foods Reset, which just means that um, next April, there's a reset for our category um, where, they, where they kind of set the planogram for the region. Th- we have to have the new flavors to Whole Foods July 3rd of this year to be in the reset for next April, which yeah. is um, a lot a lot of lead time and not much time for us. So Star is actively working on two new SKUs for 2020, a year from now, right now. Um, so that is this the sort of team update. Um, we have, um, we've grown, I guess. We are now in um, all Northeast, that's 44 Whole Foods in the region. Wow. Um, Yeah. And we launched in Peapod in Chicago. Um, And we have, you know, it's hard because there are all these stores that we've picked up, but because they're sort of one-offs or they have two, it's, it's hard to kind of mention them. But I think we're in about 150 stores now. Wow, Ali! Yeah. Congrats! Thank you. I mean, yeah, I, I know more than anybody. It's all, moving and, along. Yeah, yeah. And that takes a lot of hard work, and to have that support structure and a foundation yeah. for your team just means that you can then also start, you know, rem- being able to think big picture, think yes. ahead. That sort of 
planning two, three, four, five years ahead takes so much time. So yeah. to have other people to be yeah. supporting you on the day-to-day is great. Yeah. I mean, there's an expression, you can't fix the bus when it's going down the highway at 80 miles an hour or whatever it is, you know, yeah. but that's what but those running expressions, a business I mean, that, is, that expression is absolutely right. But I sometimes feel that those, you know, you know that and you hear that, but actually being able to fix that problem once right. you see that it's a problem is hard. Yeah. So. No, I think we're all, I think anyone who's founded a business knows that you actually have to fix the bus when it's going down because there's no stopping the bus, right? Yeah, yeah. So can I get straight into a couple of other questions that I have for you as an entrepreneur? So, you know, you and I have talked about this offline a little bit, but this is a real up and down journey. Mm -hmm. Um, And we hear about all the uh, entrepreneurs who talk about it being a roller coaster and Mm -hmm. You and I, I think, intuitively know that. I was laughing with Ali on my way here that my hair's turning grey. But I would love to hear some practical examples of, you know, can you think back to one or two times where something really didn't go to plan? It was kind of at the moment felt like a real crisis or a real disaster. I'd love to sort of have you share some of those stories with us to give us some insights into what either what you learned or how it was a blessing in disguise. Yeah. I mean, I tend to be sort of everything was a blessing in disguise kind of gal, just because I feel like it could generally always be worse and there is always something to learn from it. So the trick is trying to get through the pain quickly enough to get to where you can have enough sort of hindsight and stability to find the lesson. Um, I remember early on when we launched, um, I didn't like the, the, the way that the pesto started to look on the shelf. We started with a fourth sauce and it was a pesto. And is I was, that, is that still, no, I was just thinking, no. cause I see your products every week at Whole Foods. I'm like, yeah, I don't think I've no. seen pesto. You will notice that it is no longer in <laughs> okay, the family. Um, and basically I started noticing that it got, it was getting like brownie gray mm. where the spout was. And we thought that we had sort of solved for that. Um, you know, by squeezing extra air out of the pouch and acidifying it enough and lowering the pH and all that. Mm -hmm. But, and I, and I, I went into a full panic that it was somehow, I mean, honestly going to be dangerous, which it certainly wasn't that it was going to ruin, you know, that people wouldn't trust us, that it was going to ruin all of our chances, that we had... I mean, I went into a real spiral. Did you get any actual complaints or was this all Never. in your head? It was all oh, wow. in my head. Yeah. And I ran around to all the Whole Foods in New York City, <laughs> buying them, but with cash, because for some reason... I know it sounds funny now. I was... I was I have no, you, you I don't thought they'd chase your credit card. I did. Back to- <laughs> I did. I thought, and then I, I didn't know what that meant. You know, when oh you're in gosh. sort of panic mode, you don't think of, you just know that it's going to be really bad. You don't know what that really bad is, but I just went into this spiral and basically freaked myself out and then had to call John Lawson, who, you know, as I've said on the show has been nothing but like thoughtful and generous and say, I, you know, I I might need to voluntarily recall this thing, which would be not a good yeah. idea no, because it a wasn't a idea. recall. You know, it was just me freaking out about the color. You probably freaked and, him out for a second. Well, too. I didn't end up calling him. I ended up calling my good. distributor, and he was like, good. "It, I wouldn't. I don't think this is something for you to be this upset about." But you know, I just I think I was in some sort of chronic. My adrenal glands honestly were so messed up. like a year ago that I just was, I kind of was walking around shaking a lot of the time. I was really very, I was just off and scared and this was just overwhelming. So that was one for sure. Um, And I mean, the lesson from that was sort of twofold. I think one is I forgot all about taking care of myself and I, and I was so completely overwhelmed by launching this thing that, I was just in constant go mode and never, I don't think took enough time to sort of like sleep and kind of decompress. And I wasn't exercising and I wasn't doing yoga and I wasn't eating well. And I just, I'm, my body is sensitive to that and I need to, to take care of myself. And I think the second really good lesson is what John said on the show a couple weeks ago, which was 
be very grateful that I was in 14 stores at the time and that I knew exactly how many pesto pouches there were. That <laughs> did, I you buy, did you buy every No, I literally had a count. I didn't. And what did you do with all the pesto? Chuck it into no, a No, we ate it again because, yeah. yeah, I mean, it was perfectly good. We just I'm had to, sure. like, squeeze out the I'm little sure top part. It was. It was just, I was, I was a basket case. Um, Next so, time, invite me over yeah. for some pesto. No, and everyone was kind of like, Allie, I think you might be freaking out. I'm like, you don't understand. Um but you go to this worst place, you know, worst yeah. case scenario. Um, and, you know, every time, you know, every time I feel like, you know, I feel like a lot of my interactions are sort of like, look at my sauce and please think it's special and see what's good about it. And, and don't dismiss me. You know, I feel yeah. like there's this big part of me that is connected to that. Um, and trying to sort of... It's de- a very personal brand. F- I mean... It, it's very personal. Very. Yeah. yeah. And when people are like, I don't really see how this is different than anything, you know, it, it hurts. It physically hurts. Yeah. Um, whether it's a buyer or a potential consumer or a potential investor, you know, I kind of expect everyone to see it as this magical thing that I do and not everyone will because not everyone does and learning how to separate my self-worth out of that or just like really feeling dejected. Um, and that's the, that's the roller coaster, I think, right? Very much, yeah. I mean, I think what you're describing is just so common for so many people mm-hmm. in our roles as founders and obviously I think it impacts women entrepreneurs a little bit more than men so I hear um (laughs) (laughs) um, I mean it kind of that sort of takes me to another question that I Mm -hmm. have for you as a as a person um and it reminds me of a question that I was asked recently as a as an entrepreneur someone asked me you know if you had a superpower what would your superpower be and I remember sort of answering it really quickly and i regret the answer I gave because it ended up being published and but my superpower was oh I just want to I wish I could find 25 hours in the day instead right. of 24 and no you'd be just as <laughs> stressed out and fucked up. <laughs> yeah probably yeah. but I mean I, I think that just speaks to the fact that there is only ever going to be 24 hours you have to be yes. efficient you have to prioritize yeah. but um, you know for you Ali I think anyone who knows you and knows a little bit about your story already knows that you are honestly you don't need a superpower you have them already oh, I mean you're a you. you have your own business that you have a brick and mortar business you have a CPG business you have I know you do a whole lot of philanthropy volunteering work in the mm-hmm. food food community and on top of all of that you have five children and yes. it's it's a question that I know you've answered before but how can you give us some again more practical examples of self-care and finding time for yourself and juggling and prioritizing you know that that you need to do that but how in practice do you really mindfully wake up every morning and work out how to that juggle for me I have half of or even a quarter of what you have on your plate and I'm overwhelmed how on earth do you do it um well I think any the way I, I always sort of preface any of these answers is that I am so privileged to live the life that I do. I'm privileged that I have help with my childcare, even though they're older now. I've like, I, I don't have to run home if someone needs to go to the dentist, there's someone who can take them, you know? And, um, I think I'm very privileged that I had sort of the, you know, that I didn't have debt coming out of college that I was even able in a position to even open this business and that if I need someone to help me with you know learning excel I can go find someone I mean I have tremendous resources at my disposal and so I feel like my real superpower is knowing what my resources are and knowing how to apply them yeah you know um but I I don't think that I'm you know, I recognize that I'm very, very, very lucky to, yeah. to be I mean, able to have what I have. I feel like you I really do. pay that forward, Ali. I mean, you've done a lot for the industry yeah. and for other people. And I, I think try. the fact that you've received such great help, you've also given it yes. back. Thank you. Um, and I think, you know, so that's the preface. And then the the nuts and bolts of the answer, I think, is what people are probably looking for. Not my like, thank you for, you know. Mm. Um 
is delegating. Really, genuinely delegating. Not delegating with one hand on the steering wheel, but genuinely letting someone else drive. And giving them as clear of a idea of what you're looking for and giving them a very clear set of goals and clear deliverables and ways of measuring the success of those deliverables. And I'm not perfect at it, but I don't think anyone that works at Havens doesn't know exactly what their job is and doesn't know exactly what's expected of them. And I think that that makes them less anxious and I think it makes them perform better and I think it makes them grow in their roles and take ownership and I think ultimately it's the best it's the best way to lead because I I learned a long time ago I mean I think the first thing you learn when you have multiple children is that you cannot control I mean I I I had this vision when my kids were little I remember one time we were leaving like a restaurant we went to we did like a breakfast for dinner thing at this diner with friends of ours and I said okay everyone was in their pajamas I had five kids under eight and I was like everyone we're gonna be a mommy duck and baby ducks and we're gonna walk I lived a half a block away we're gonna walk home and they all of my kids started running around flapping their wings and and like squawking like quack quack like they they didn't get the analogy that I wanted to be like in a row. Yeah. They started just running around flying and screaming and quacking. And I always look back at that because it was kind of when I realized I'm not ever going to have control over this, right? Like they're, my kids wear whatever. I don't even know. You know, like you just can't, you can't hold on to it all too tight. Yeah. And I think learning that as a mom kind of translated to... I don't know every single thing that's going on. My team knows when they need to bring me in. You know, I got myself out of behind the register very early. Yeah. And I think that helped that helped people grow in their jobs. Yeah. Although you are very present physically yes. in your own space. Yeah. And I think that also makes a difference yes. in terms of the brand is very connected to yes. you as the founder. Yeah. Has its pluses and its minuses. But yeah. I think that has built a very loyal community around yeah. you I hope so I, th- I hope that I mean similar to you you didn't call it Rachel's mill you know like <laughs> I think I think that you know I'll, the, put, I'll put that one on the list for my next company not <laughs> <laughs> yeah if you need some branding help yeah. just give me a ring no but I think that you know those of us who took our names out of it a little bit we, yeah. you know we wanted to build something that wasn't completely connected to us but that is a reflection of our values and our priorities and the thing that we want to put out into the world yeah. you know speaking back though of your kids do any, yeah. any of them work in the business or aspire <laughs> no. to work in the business not at all no they I mean they all they Are all they foodies they all they like love Eating, yeah, um, and half of them love cooking and half of them love baking, which I always think is an interesting sort of distinction. Um, and they are definitely excited when they get to come, and it's fun coming to my place. And they've all worked there in some capacity, much to my team's chagrin. You know, I'm like, so and so is going to learn how to work the register, you know, and they're like, great, that sounds like fun training her. But, um, or they've all, you know, I really believe that everyone should be, you know, a server at some point or, you know, work back of house for sure at some point. I had my 12 year old working at a uh, desserts show last weekend. He was surrounded by a whole lot of other 12 year old girls. So he was pretty chuffed with himself. (laughs) I mean, that's pretty cool. Um, But I do think, I think that their experience is, you know, they, they think it's cool, but it's not what any of them want yeah. so far. Yeah. So on some of the harder days, mm-hmm. you know, is it, f- is it for them or for, for what is it that really just gets you up every day? I mean, some days are just fantastic and no one needs help. But on yeah. the days that you know you're about to have a hard day or yeah. is there something that really compels you to keep going? I think it, it's evolved. I mean, I think what kept me going at the beginning, you know, when we opened starting in like 2012, probably for the first three years was um, getting it to a place where it felt like it had roots, you know. And then after that, starting in 2015, 2016, I think it's, I think it's my team. 
I think it, you know, I think it started off candidly as something I wanted to create and I wanted my vision out there. Mm -hmm. And then it, it kind of evolved into, gosh, there are all of these really smart, creative people that are dedicating some really important years of their lives to being on this journey with me and whatever opportunities I can create for them. I mean, it's why we expanded into the sauces. You know, I, I just felt like if I want to continue to grow opportunities and, and to be able to, you know, have a company that, that, that has a good healthcare plan and that takes care of people when they go on parental leave and all of those things, then I have to get up and bust my ass because I owe it to them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, So I I wanted to ask a few questions about the sources themselves Mm -hmm. and the flavors, but as you were talking about your team and listening to them and allowing them to flourish, it made me suddenly think about, is there a particular idea or source recipe or or flavor that one of your team members came up with where you're like no I don't think that's gonna work and (laughs) so they either turned out to be you were right or they were right you know how do you kind of come up with the I sauce for the sauces I I I get I have the best job in the world right because I'm like we need a an herby sauce that's going to be bright and pretty and you know fun to squeeze out of a thing and um I didn't know what Romesco was when I opened Haven's Kitchen. I mean, everything that I've learned about food, you know, I was a really good home cook, but I wasn't, I didn't have a global understanding, uh, you know, of food really. I mean, I really liked certain cuisines or what I knew of them from the New Yorkified version of them. But through working with all of these chefs and, and, cooks and all these people that they've traveled everywhere they've worked in some of the best restaurants they've they've exposed me to so many things um I I don't think any of them I'm sort of the person who says I think that this is the direction we should go in visually it probably shouldn't be white or brown you know like your mesa ginger is brown but it is and and we were very careful that that color was very different than the nutty lemongrass brown you know but the two new ones that are coming out are they're not gonna and it's hard to make sauce that's got color yeah that also well natural color obviously right (laughs) yes (laughs) but that's good on a lot of things and can be used in many many ways so um they're they they kind of come at me with a lot of stuff and Although interestingly, yeah. all your fla- all your sauces are globally mm-hmm. globally flavored. Yes. You, you haven't gone down a. No, of, I'm trying to think of what what is a traditional non global flavor. I mean, I mean marinara or something. But that, I think that tomato kind of or barbecue. Back. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, everything traces yeah. out of America, it, right? Well, yeah, um, yeah. But I think it's funny that you said that because when we were in the Chobani incubator, the head of innovation told us that we should stop innovating. <laughs> He's like, I know this is going to sound ironic, but... What, go with a basic? You guys need a little bit more, yeah, a little bit more basic because you have these flavors. I mean, we purposely wrote Romesco. We didn't write roasted red pepper sauce. Yeah, That probably would have sold a little bit better, you know, in yeah. a way. Um, but <laughs> we don't want to dumb it down and we want to sort of to you know it's a tricky it's tricky yeah no it's funny it's it's kind of almost counterintuitive if if you have your own personal style of the way you want to eat or the way you Mm want to cook versus what you're you're in the business of trying to sell something to a big market so you have to so funny I have that problem too because I absolutely never wanted to sell vanilla ice cream or right. I don't want to do a plain no, but people vanilla, like vanilla Yeah, but yeah. yeah that, and just because I'm sort of a bit more of a adventurous foodie, it sort of, you know, it doesn't yeah. always resonate. You have to kind of meet the market where the market wants Absolutely. to meet you. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I, I think that there's there's something really to be said for if, if a lot of people like a certain thing, it's not like you need to then go introduce them to sort of the wonders that are out there. Yeah, you can do that too. But at the end of the day, you know, giving people something that really, that makes them happy, that they like, that they know they like, just giving them like a little bit better of a version of it than yeah. what they've experienced is is a really pretty cool thing to be able to do. Yeah, We're still going into weird 
<laughs> I just don't know. I mean, pesto was going to be the gateway, mm-hmm. um, but you know how that worked out. So <laughs> I know. It's funny. I don't see much fresh pesto. That's because yeah. it's really hard to yeah to, to keep make the color, it, yeah. the color and the pH. Because yeah. it needs to, you really need to acidify it to get it below sort of that 4.6 threshold on pH, which is kind of what you need. Yeah. I bet you've had fun learning all of that. Super fun. <laughs> and the water content or the water uh, activity. Okay. So I'm going to... We're going to take a break. Okay, sure. Just, um, and then we'll come back and you can continue. And I guess maybe I'll get some questions in too, although I think this is sort yeah, of fun. No, I'm fine. I'm okay, fine. Great. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. The Hearst family has been raising cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of California's Central Coast for over 150 years. Piedra Blanca Rancho in San Simeon is the original Hearst Ranch, founded by George Hearst in 1865. George's son was the famous publisher, William Randolph Hearst. In addition to being known for building the iconic Hearst Castle, William was, like his father before him, an avid rancher. In his words, I would rather spend a month at the ranch than any place in the world. Thanks to one of the largest land conservation easements in California history, a joint effort with the California Rangeland Trust, the American Land Conservancy, and the state of California, the working landscape at Hearst Ranch will be preserved forever. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Sari Kamen. And I'm Leah Kurtz. And together we host Food Without Borders here on HRN. Immigrants make our food system vibrant, diverse, and delicious. Each week, we invite a guest to talk about how food connects them to their past as we explore what it's like to be an immigrant in the U.S. today. You can find Food Without Borders wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. Hi, I'm back with Rachel from Seed and Mill, who's, I guess, interviewing me on this podcast, um, even though I do have some questions, so I'm going to try to squeeze them <laughs> in at the end, but you can if, continue. If, if I let you. So <laughs> I know, exactly. We were talking before about, um, I was just about to sort of ask you some fun questions, because okay. I love, you know, you're such a, uh, an icon in this industry, and I always love hearing people's Last Supper question. Oh, it's my favorite question, right. so tell us, it's a, it's a standard question, but tell us. What would be your last supper? And I'd, I'm interested to know if there's a chef or a restaurant where you'd want to have it or whether you'd cook it yourself. I'm looking at you and all I see is like falafel. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. Uh, that's a terrible it's, thing to no, say. No, it's like a good thing because I love it. But I feel like I'm like, remember in Jungle Book or what was the movie the where Ben Stiller is the, is the lion? Matt, you know this. Where I'm just thinking, Zoolander and Ben. No, they're the they're the they're the. It's animated, and they're the ones that escape from the zoo, and they get into the wild, and all of a sudden he's a lion, and he starts looking at his friend the zebra, but he looks like meat. Do you know? Come on. My Not kids a, clue. a little. Okay, I have fine. no idea. I'm part, kind of past okay, the animated fine. films. <laughs> anyway, it was really good. Someone will DM me with it. But anyway, I'm looking at you because all I can think of is tahini, and it's my mouth is watering. Literally, whenever I see you, I think oh, about tahini, which is good, I guess. Um, so I really, really like. So right now, I mean, I have I have a lot of meals that I would like, but what I really crave right now is sort of that in-between season, big overstuffed pita with like very crunchy, very sesame-ish, really crispy falafel with shredded lettuce and pickled onions Yum. and, you know, all of the fixins and just like gobs. Yeah. With a big napkin to catch Exactly, all and it's sauce. like dripping down my face <laughs> okay. and, yeah, with and a it, lot of And are you tea. eating this in a particular location? Are you overseas? I mean, is are it really you? my last meal? Like, am I going to mm, die? No, okay. or, Let's not get know. morbid about it. I just, you know what, I'm, I just, I'm salivating yeah. how, even listening to you. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should have skipped lunch. Yeah. No, but. I really like falafel. I really like the combination of like crunchy and creamy and then tangy. Yeah. You know, that sort of, that's that's global, right? Everywhere you go, there is some sort of fritter with some sort of tangy sauce. Yeah. And some sort of like fixins. Yeah, I know. know. It kind of it reminds me that it's really not that complicated at the heart of no. it. It's, it reminds me of Salmon Nostrat's book, you know, Salt, Acid, yep. Fat, Heat. I think it's yeah. the right title. But it's really, <laughs> there's some fundamentals yes. around cooking. Yep. You need a bit of crunch and a bit of acid. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's not exactly. that hard. No, you need, I mean... 
I, you know, I think that's why going back to the sauce, that's kind of what kept coming up in all of our classes. You know, everyone, all of our students kept saying like, I kind of get, I kind of get this part, but the sauce part is just really, it's hard to get to hit that, that balance. Yeah. And it's hard Had to, to source the ingredients or so just yeah, had to find the time to make both everything, getting, getting the ingredients, taking out the Cuisinart or mincing, uh, you know, a ton yeah. of garlic or oregano cleaning up, you know, it's the best part. And they, and a lot of them sort of have these cravings, but they don't know how to hit the cravings, you know? I mean, yeah. and so if you don't, if you don't know how, how to hit the craving, it's, it's, it's almost, you know, it's demotivating, yeah. right? Cause you know, you're just not going to get there and then you're going to try to make dinner and it's going to take you all this time. And then you're going to have all this cleanup and you're going to eat in 14 seconds and yeah. it didn't even hit the thing that you really wanted to hit. Yeah. Or well, for me, it, I, I was telling Maddie on the way over here in the car that we, um, that I had made an eggplant dish mm -hmm. yesterday with your ginger miso mm -hmm. sauce. Mm -hmm. And, and I cook a lot. I'm always, I am yeah. that person who would happily make my sauce from scratch, yes. but at the end of the day, we've all got limited time. So I, I, I scored some eggplant. Mm -hmm. I, I took your miso ginger sauce. I just basted the eggplant, put it in the oven and, you know, literally that's what, three minutes of prep time. Yep. But I didn't have to buy a whole jar of miso that was sitting right. there in the fridge yes. and I would have probably used three and tablespoons of meal and yeah. mirin yeah. And, and peeled my right. ginger and yep. chopped my ginger. You know, exactly. it does, yeah. it really does allow people to get creative and excited Good. in a kitchen Aww. without, you know, all the work. And I say that from somebody who does normally does love yeah. to do that. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Yeah. So can we talk a little bit about, because you said just now that you are a person that spends a lot of time cooking and making things, and I know that because of your Instagram. Yeah. And we had a little conversation a couple weeks ago because I posted something and you wrote to me that you like my Instagram a lot, and I just had this like wave of like <laughs> blushing pride because... I think your Instagram, I mean, is banging. Like, I think it's the best one I out there wow. for me. It's wow. it's kind of like because the, <laughs> the food always looks amazing. I'm looking at you because I'm just so tough on myself I and on everyone else. I'm like, really? Don't know about that. But anyway, no, I mean, there's I, a lot of I good think content. So. The content, your your content's amazing, and you make food that is beautiful. You always have good lighting. I don't know how you do that. It's how just take, do that? taking a photo next to the window. Yeah, but then you have like the, I always have like the ledge. Yeah, you know? me too. I mean, look, there's a few tricks to Instagram. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you, you need a, I, I went out and ordered a surface because somebody told me you needed a surface, which is basically just a big piece of wood that looks like your kitchen table, but it's not your actual table. Got so it. I just carry, I put the food on the surface. I take it to the window ledge. Right. And I, I a natural light is the key to every yep. good photo. And yep. then, you know, I still edit. You lighten you know, it up a little yeah, bit. Yeah. But your recipes are so creative and they're so, and they look, and they look kind of exotic and yet approachable at the same time. So they're kind of, I love that line between aspiration and sort of attainable. Yeah. You know, they're kind of both. Yeah. I mean, I think social media, it, it can play a, a role for a lot of people. It can either, but I, I want it to be aspirational, but as you say, you don't want it to be too mm -hmm. intimidating. And so we try to share a lot of recipes or try to share a few videos, but, you know, as a small startup right. business, it's, there's only so many hours in the day. We don't pay for content. We but do you know that you, you know, I always use the expression and I think it's, I think it's the right expression. Like, I think it's called punching above your weight. I think I'm not. <laughs> okay, you got to stop it, Ellie. <laughs> this is good. No, but I do. I think that I don't think that you appear to be a small brand on Instagram. First of all, you have tremendous followers and you have a ton of engagement. So we might get 200 likes on something, but we're not getting 50 comments and 200 likes. And on pretty much all of your posts, you get a ton of people engaging do you know how you did that or is was there a secret sauce or did was it super organic was there sort of someone some big foodie that started following you that then brought along other things I like, mean I have this conversation with so many other businesses in my, at at our stage and mm -hmm. with our sort of funding and I wish I could I honestly wish I had the answer to right. that I don't, I don't think anybody truly has the answer no. I've asked I've asked people who sort of uh, social media experts and that's all they do if there's something that is there a time of day yeah. and is there no, everyone's well, trying this, to figure it out yeah I mean I don't think there's a secret that I could share but I would say this that I it's been a 
really a nice creative outlet for me. Mm-hmm. I sort of feel like it comes at a bit of a cost, Ali, and yeah. I think that's it's an important lesson for other entrepreneurs to it know that it really does. Um, every photo, I mean, we buy the ingredients. You've got to think about what are you going to cook. Then you have to cook it. Then you have to style it. Then you have yep. to shoot it. Then you have to caption it. Then you've got to reply to the comments. We yep. And we do, you know, I, at the moment I'm pretty much doing that all myself, yeah. which uh, is exhausting and I think any other business person listening to this podcast would probably say, mm, is that the most efficient use of your time? Right. So I think there's a balance to be struck that it's it has to serve its purpose. Yeah. And Well, it's funny because that is why I originally brought Maddie in because I was noticing that, first of all, I was getting too emotionally connected to Instagram, which... You know, I think I'm just like probably every other person in 2019. I was starting to sort of get bummed out if I didn't get as many likes on something or, you know, I felt compelled to sort of post more often or make my stories funnier than I felt that day or, you know, and, and I noticed that shift in my own sort of behavior, which alarmed me a little bit, but also just in the sheer amount of time that it was taking. And for me, I'm not sure at this point that the the that growing i maybe i'm wrong but i find that the the growth is slowing down a lot in the sense that i think you used to be able to reach with every post you know more than 20% of your followers so if you have 10,000 people following you you'd you know reach yeah. more than what's 200 is that yeah. i think <laughs> yeah i'm not even thinking One about the math <laughs> is a thousand no it's 2000 yeah. so but um, now I think it's less than seven or five or something like that. So even if you have a ton of followers, the majority of them, vast majority of them, aren't seeing your posts. So that becomes even more kind of demotivating because if you're putting all of this effort into it and your followers who have chosen to follow you actively are not seeing it, you know, yeah. it's kind of – I'm. You know, look, I I feel like this is just a conversation topic that it happened. I hear it all the time. But then interestingly, I was at a meeting recently with Whole Foods and mm -hmm. they were bringing up, you know, the Instagram Mm -hmm. support and, you know, it's it's meaningful for them as well. I mean, I hear I hear it a lot. Yeah. The, from the buyer side, from the yep. consumer side, and we do a lot of direct-to-consumer yeah. sales. Well, I, my guess is that for a direct-to-consumer business, it's even more valuable. Yeah, of course. Um, Although, funnily enough, I will say, mm-hmm. so we do it, we're trying to build that channel that is important for us, and we have had a, a, some success, uh, particularly over certain holiday periods. So, right. you know. But um, even though we spend a lot of time on Instagram and people – place a lot of orders online they're not ordering through instagram but they do but but i'm always amazed that people will still come to our physical brick and mortar store Mm -hmm. in chelsea market and they'll say oh i saw you on instagram or my friend saw you on instagram and she tagged me and told me to cut you know so even though you're not seeing the direct correlation in the sales yeah it's still valuable absolutely yeah i mean i'm not shutting it down anytime soon and i will say that with fresh direct at least we because we don't have an online component and we did a swipe up to buy to them at the beginning, that's why we sold out with, you know, the first like six purchase orders before they figured out to order more. Yeah. It was because we would do a story, we'd say swipe up to buy and they would just get sold out. That's great. Know, with our followers. Yeah, it was great. Um, so it definitely has, I just have, I have all these weird feelings about yeah. it. I, <laughs> I mean, do. I, think, I, like, well, I think social media is just an, I mean, it's a, it's a epidemic. I mean, you've got kids, I've got young kids. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think they're we need to find the balance between yeah. the online world and the real yeah. world. And it also kind of brings me back to a topic that I know you're interested mm-hmm. in, which is that we're, we're both working in the food industry where mm-hmm. you're selling, you're making real food yes. and sort of having that juxtaposition of everything being online. And I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. know. I want to keep it real sometimes and social media is important and I'm, you and I are both not underestimating it, but sometimes right. I just want to, put my phone down mm-hmm. like my 10 year old daughter put a sign you can't see this in the audience but I'm showing Ali here put your phone down. <laughs> she literally put on my screensaver it says put your phone down yeah. because my daughter was sick of seeing me on yeah. my phone and I just think this is a parent business life struggle yes. for everybody yes. and it yeah balance and is important with, you know with us it, because we're not playing you know connect the dots or you know 
I don't know what the other games are. We actually are doing quote unquote work. Yeah. You know, it's I'm only ever sort of, working right. when my daughter's screaming of at me, course. Mommy, put your phone down. I'm but not, I'm do not we playing need to be Candy Crush. At that minute. Right. Candy yeah. Crush. That's yeah. the game. Although, yeah. whatever. That might be nice. I do drool over other people's Instagram accounts occasionally, and then I'll call it work, but really, I'm just sort of thinking about lunch. Or <laughs> <laughs> who do you drool over? I'm curious. Um, there's a few friends that I've got and I, you know, I, it's nice to give my friends a shout mm-hmm. out because, you know, they've been yeah, I'll great, tag them on, great mentors, podcast. but you know, there's a good friend I met at our counter. Her name's Jill Fergus. I think you oh, know her. So, the swimmer. so Jill, yeah. you know, came to our counter the week we opened. And I remember when I first met her, she had about 400 followers and I think we had, really? yeah, yeah, yeah. She had 400 followers and I think we had about, I don't know, 200 followers. Wow. It was the week, two weeks after we'd opened and. Um, I remember meeting her. She was just a passionate, authentic yes. foodie. She loves real food. Yeah. She's, you know, she for her Instagram has become a bit of a business opportunity yes. for her, but she doesn't do it just to. Right. It's a real passion. Mm-hmm. And um, I watched her grow her account. Yeah. You know, she cooks the kind of food that I yep. love to cook. Um, it's bright. It's healthy. It's colourful. Yep. And it's a mix of savoury and sweet. Yep. Um, you know, and I've got a few other friends who sort of have far more sophisticated food accounts that I also love to drool at but there's another New Zealand woman called Erin Clarkson who's got an account called Cloudy Kitchen Cloudy Kitchen, and I love Erin and Jill are actually friends but and Erin's just uh, such a she's so talented she's yeah. an incredible baker she she generally only does sweet things right. and a lot of them are a little bit complicated but it's sort of that aspirational account that I like to follow yeah. um, I don't know I mean could talk I could talk forever but it's also nice occasionally, Ali, to just pick up a magazine and yes, actually look at something in print. That's true. Not That's that I true. do that so often on an aeroplane. But now there's Wi-Fi on planes. Do you read like, books? I, I love to read. I love – I don't find enough time. If you said what's the one thing you wish you had more time for, I would That's say right. exercise and reading. I actually – I make myself read every night. I, I feel like it gives my brain this other little – it's fun to read something other than about business yeah. and, you know, it just kind of... Do you, do you read nonfiction then? Or? I like memoirs I was a about lot. to say I love memoirs. Yeah, I'm reading Ruth Reichel's right oh, now. I just bought the, yeah. the one, The Plums. Yes, yeah. Yeah. The Plums. And I just, I finished Danny Shapiro's Inheritance, which I thought was breathtakingly beautiful. I think she's just an incredible writer. I also read um, recently a book called Eve's Hollywood, and it's it's not a memoir, but it's a biography of Eve Babbitts, who, mm-hmm. you know, was the L.A. writer, or is, I guess, um, she's still living, but just amazing. Do you, do you listen books. to them ever, or audio books? I only listen only to Pema read? Chudron. I, it's funny, I only listen to Pema, um, and that's just to kind of go to sleep sometimes, because I like the fact that she, I feel like I'm just hearing her talk yeah it doesn't feel like she i mean it is more of a lecture than it is a book i'm not a big book it feels stilted to me sometimes you know to li- to, to listen to, to listen a, to a yeah. book yeah you know like an author reading fiction or yeah. reading a you know so um yeah i just no. finished michelle obama's memoir and everybody said it was amazing to listen to her voice yes. because it was her. I would but think I, that if it's her voice. I haven't yeah. I haven't done that. I yet. listened to Lena Dunham's book and oh. her voice, oh, which, was, cool. which was good. Yeah. yeah. A couple of years ago. I'm actually reading a good book called The Book of Joy, which is a conversation oh. between the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu. Yeah. And it's it's written by I feel awful that I can't actually think of the author's right. name, but he we'll he basically Yeah, I know that's terrible. Um but he just spends a week with the two of them and just listens to their life yeah. experience and their dialogue and their interaction and I I get a lot out of reading those sort of books yes, puts a lot too. of in, lot of uh, things perspective. into perspective <laughs> yes. that's that's my tattoo that I haven't yet got but if I ever do it's going to say perspective. perspective that's a good one mm, yeah when did you kind of know like ah this is a business yeah i mean it I'm was it. it was it was pretty early on that yeah. we started in 2016 in Chelsea market and it just yeah. i mean we were overwhelmed with with support and customers yeah. and press and I know that's but, my big question because yeah. it's really like a cult brand. I mean, you have a lot of love out there. Yeah, sometimes we, I don't know if you know how much love you have. Yeah, I think it's yeah, it's it's it's, it's always nice to hear the love. But I def I'm definitely that person who's always looking to the next. Right. Well, well, what do we do with that love? Right. I mean, it is nice to have a very loyal 
it's it's small and very loyal and very engaged. Yes, because it's community. Amazing but we we want to take that into okay. Well, what does that mean? What's yes. the next step? Yeah, and uh, you know, knowing how to get there, knowing your own limitations, knowing what your skill set is, knowing what resources to bring in, mm-hmm. how to raise money. You know, all the questions that you ask on this podcast, we. We have experienced and we're still experiencing, you know, day in, day out. So I do think that, you know, and I was saying this to you in the car and it's sort of the last note of the day, but I do think that we're in the fun part. As stressful as it is, as, you know, deep the bags under my eyes have gotten in the last year, I do think that getting to start something and build it and kind of watch it flourish you know yeah we all want to be at the next level but there once you're kind of you know I see people and they've built it and they have investors and they feel even more pressure to open more doors and you know they've gotten they've gotten acquired and then and then what yeah, you I mean, know, look, the like, chal- there's a journey. Yeah, there's a kind of a never-ending. savor it. Yeah, yeah, there's a never-ending road of challenges. It reminds me of motherhood when you had little babies, and yeah. everyone would say, "Enjoy this moment right. because they get big, and big pro- big yeah. kids have big problems." And I, I don't think sort of scaling the business with money and investments is necessarily going to be a solution to right. the, everything. It'll just be the next. It's, thing. It, it's the next stage, yeah. and and I do enjoy the the learning for me and every yeah. day that I'm learning something new, yeah. meeting somebody new, acquiring a skill that I never yep. thought I would ever, mm-hmm. you know, you talk yeah. a lot about the sort of skill development on the finance yeah. side, which is not my natural habitat, but so knowing, much fun. Yeah. It's so much fun knowing the numbers. It really is. I never thought I used to cry when I opened Excel cry. Yeah. Like it was a, just a, an yeah. automatic response. Yeah. All right, Rachel, thank you so much. Ellie, I didn't thank get to you. ask you all my questions, but I hope that it was helpful for people listening. And um, this is the last episode of this season, although I think next season starts in like three weeks or something, so it's not that big of a hiatus. Um, Matt, thank you for a great season. Thank you for being a great sidekick in addition to uh, engineer. And um, I'll see you next time. Thanks, Thanks, Rachel, for coming. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.